Hey there, welcome to the Courage Cast. My name is Andrea Crisp, and this is episode number 33. And during the month of February, we are talking to women who have faced their fear in life, love, and relationships. And today is no exception with my guest, who married her college sweetheart and had a life that women only dream of, only to have the unthinkable happen when her husband tragically died in an accident. Now a young widow and a mother of a toddler, she went on to rebuild her life and her story is going to absolutely amaze you. You're listening to The Courage Cast, a show to equip and empower women to live bravely. Each week we'll share real stories of influential women who are willing to face their fear and pursue their purpose. Here's your host, Andrea Crisp, life coach, author, and your secret weapon. This episode of The Courage Cast is brought to you by something that is near and dear to my heart. It's my passion to empower women to live more bravely. Maybe you feel a little uncertain of how to move forward in your life and you're ready to reignite your confidence and change your perspective on what you're fully capable of. If you want to break free once and for all from your limiting beliefs to live your purpose, then I believe breakthrough coaching is for you. So let's have a conversation to find out what's really holding you back so that you can reframe your mindset and get the clarity you need to move forward, both personally and professionally. Let's connect at andreacrisp.ca forward slash schedule. Friends, there are so many times in life when we can get caught up feeling like we're the only person in the world that has ever experienced pain and loss in our most trusted relationships. And the story you're about to hear today is not only about grief and loss, but also about how one woman had the courage to face the unimaginable and find joy and purpose in her life again after her young husband died in a tragic accident. She's the executive director of a women's center, the co-author of Dancing on My Ashes with her sister Heather. She travels extensively sharing about how God turned her tragedy and loss into beauty and restoration. And she now lives with her husband and three children in McKinney, Texas, She is warm and she has the most beautiful soul. And I cannot wait for you to meet my friend, Holly Snell. Well, Holly, I am so glad to have you on here this morning. And I'm really excited for you to share what's going on in your life and your story. I have been following you for the past probably 15 plus years. So I'm so glad to have you on the Courage Cast today. Oh, my pleasure. So happy to be here. Thank you for asking. Uh, We met each other in a very small town in middle of Missouri, well, actually southwestern Missouri, Springfield, Missouri. And it was a long time ago at a little church called Calvary Temple. That's right. So tell me, where are you and your husband and your kids living these days and what are you doing? Sure. Well, we live in McKinney, Texas, which is one of the uh, most furthest north suburbs of Dallas. Um, My husband and I, we planted a church with two other couples. It's called the Parks Church here in McKinney almost seven years ago. Um, So we're doing that. But then I also find myself um, as executive director of an unplanned pregnancy medical clinic here in McKinney as well. Um, We have three children. We have Emma, who is 19, and she is a sophomore at Moody Bible Institute studying urban ministries and, and counseling. And then we also have our son, Malachi, who is 14 years old, playing fresh at freshman basketball. And then we have our 10-year-old daughter, Ava, 
um, and she's in elementary school. So we got got them spread wide. We've got college, high school, and elementary. Yeah, that sounds like a really full and fun life. It is. It with is. all of those kids. And your story is just one that um, has amazed me ever since I've heard it. And this is the first time I think you and I will have specifically spoken about it. That's true. And so I'm really excited to actually hear it from you. Although I've like watched uh, little video clips that you've had, um, you have a book out, um, you have a lot of things. So um, I'm just going to give it over to you. Sure. Well, if, if you don't mind, I'll just kind of set it up like this. So I did grow up in a pastor's home. My dad was a pastor. My mom was the church secretary. Um, I was the oldest of six kids and from a very early age felt the call of God for ministry on my life. And so I went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, where um, our oldest daughter is going to school now and uh, was studying there. And then I met and eventually married the man of my dreams, uh, Scott Nesbitt. Um, but just to kind of explain how special our relationship was, I, I'll never forget, it was the last day of school, my freshman year, and we were on the phone and we were talking about dreams, like what did we want to do? And and so Scott was asking me, you know, Holly, what do you want to do? And, and during that time, I was singing with a Christian band and we were opening for different artists in the Chicago area, which was a ton of fun. Um, and we'd even just uh, released an album together. So my dreams at that time were singing and doing more music. And so I started to share that with him. And, and so I said, well, what do you want to do, Scott? And so he began to tell me the story of how he pictured us one day starting a Christian adventure camp for inner city and troubled teens. Now, Scott's history, he was the youngest of nine kids. He grew up on a farm um, just south of Lake Ontario, um, just south of Niagara Falls, near the Buffalo area. And so that was kind of in his DNA. He loved the outdoors. He loved adventure. Um, but after being in Chicago, his heart really grew for those inner city kids who didn't have a, a chance to experience God um, in nature. And so, so this was his dream. And so I remember hearing him talk about it. And at that time, I'm thinking, good for you. Totally. Mm -hmm not my gig. Um, I'm a suburban girl. Um, and I'm thinking, and honestly, how often do you actually find yourself living your dream? So I really just kind of tucked that away and never thought about it again. So fast forward, we get married. Um, we're now pregnant with our first child and we get a call. We're now living, um, next door to his mom and dad, um, up in Waterport, New York. And we get a call from a friend of ours who we had met. He was a former executive um, for the McDonald's Corporation. Um, and he had just recently retired. And we had met him while we were going to school at Moody. And so he asked us to come for a quick visit, come back to Chicago. And so we're like, great, let's take a quick road trip and go back to Chicago. And so we did. And so while we're sitting there and talking with our friend, um, he asks my husband that crazy question. He says, Scott, what's your biggest dream? What do you want to do? And so all of a sudden, even though years have gone by now, since he and I had that conversation that, that one night on the phone while we were at school, he begins to go into his dream of starting a Christian adventure camp for inner city and troubled teens. 
And so as he's beginning to describe that, our friend, he's just nodding. And then he finally says, Scott, I want to make that dream a reality. I'm, I'm going to fund this dream. And that's exactly what he did. Um, the next few months, we kind of dropped what we were doing. And we began uh, looking for properties to start to start this camp. And we finally come across beautiful 220 acres um, north of Montpelier, Vermont. It had a 60,000 square foot barn. It had two houses on the property. Our friend, um, he wanted to live there too and be a part of this dream, which we certainly welcomed. And he had um, horses driven in from Montana. We were building um, ropes course elements all throughout our woods. We had a private pond. And there's one place on the property where if you stand up on this hill, you could look in one direction and you could see the mountains in New Hampshire. And then you could turn another direction and you could see the mountains in, from the Adirondacks in New York. I mean, it was a stunning piece of property. Um, so we took the next few years uh, just really plowing through, getting this nonprofit set up, beginning to raise money for this, for this camp. Uh, talking to churches about it, and my mom and dad and family. Um, I'm the oldest of six, and so there's a there's a 20 year age gap between me and my youngest brother. And oh, so, wow. uh, yeah, crazy. And um, so my friend who who purchased this property and helped us get this thing going, he offers to bring my family in for a visit for them to come see the property before we actually launched. And so he did that. And while while my family was there, my dad got really sick. Um, but my, we weren't, this wasn't new to us. My dad had experienced a severe stroke at the age of 39. And so, um, the years leading up to this seven years leading up to this, my dad was in and out of hospitals, really just fighting different, um, different things that his body had been struggling with since the stroke. And so, so we take our dad to the hospital, he gets there, he's the, and it was pretty bad, but um, we get him back to Missouri, my dad, and um, he he dies suddenly. And we as a family were absolutely shocked, absolutely shocked, um, because up until that point, God had always done what we wanted him to do. He had always answered prayers as we asked him, you know, in our prayers to do. To do. He always healed my dad. Um, in fact, just to give a specific example, my dad had contracted the HIV virus through a blood transfusion following that stroke. Oh, and wow. yeah, it was, I mean, devastating to us. And this was back when um, HIV was a true death sentence and, and people didn't, doctors didn't know how to deal with it. Um, so it was really, it was a scary time for us. But um, through the course of the year after my dad had the stroke, um, he just, he really got a word from the Lord that, that he had been healed. And so he told the doctors to test his blood again. And so sure enough, I mean, the Lord did what we prayed and asked him to do. And the Lord completely healed my dad of HIV virus. That's amazing. That is yeah. amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. It is amazing. But unfortunately, I took this beautiful thing that God did and it set up in my head um, an unreal unrealistic view 
of who God is. He became a genie in a bottle to me. Mm. Like if I prayed a certain way or did a certain thing, God was going to do what I asked him to do. And so this was the first time getting that phone call that my dad had passed away. It was, I, I mean, I was let down. I felt God had disappointed me. Um, and I was, I was devastated. And so was my family. But, but here we are, the, we're getting the camp up and going. And, and so my husband, I get back to Vermont after following my dad's death. And we're just, I'm, I really kind of had compartmentalized my dad's death and kind of tucked it away, even though that pain was still there, but I hadn't really addressed it. And I hadn't really given that hurt to the Lord. Um, I just wanted to be a little upset with him. And, but I tucked it away. And so now um, we're getting ready to launch the camp. It's the summer of 2000. And I reached out to one of my sisters, the sister who's just under me in age. And I asked her and her, um, her newly married husband to come and join us as camp counselors um, for the summer. And I thought for me, this would be really great. My sister Heather and I, we can mourn together. We can grieve together. Um, talk about dad. She can help me with my now two-year-old daughter. And then our husbands can work really hard <laughs> with this camp, which we did too. Um, definitely underestimating the work it would take. But Heather and her husband, James, they, they came and they joined us. So we were so excited about that. And so we're operating with the camp. The camp has launched. Our full summer, our first summer is up and running. And we have youth groups from different um, areas coming in and giving us a test run, helping us work out kinks and things were going really smoothly. Um, I was the camp cook, which that's a miracle in itself, <laughs> um, but it was, it was great. And we were seeing the Lord really just really use this camp and he was working in and through us. We were learning a lot through, through the experience as well. Um, it, it was just a good time. It was definitely hard and challenging, but it was amazing. And we were seeing God do just beautiful things in and through the lives of these teens. Um, but there was uh, one day we had a group there, I believe from Pennsylvania, and they had changed their plans of what they had wanted to do. And they wanted to go canoeing, which we had taken other groups canoeing. So no big deal. Um, but my husband wanted to scout out another canoe route to take this group. And so my husband and my sister's husband, they decide uh, to go and look for this other route for the, for the following day. And so they leave and they were supposed to be back around uh, dinner time. So dinner time comes and there's no Scott and there's no James. So we pull the staff together, the counselors, and, and we just say, hey, I don't know where they are. I'm sure everything is fine. Um, but let's just go ahead and proceed with our evening worship and, and, and devotion. And so we did that and things were fine. And, but I was fully expecting them to walk through the door sometime, um, before we went to bed and 10 o'clock rolls around. There's no Scott, no James. And so I began to make some phone calls. I wanted to see if any accidents had been reported uh, matching their description. Um, and just as as a frame of reference this is still this is the year 2000 so there's no cute little cell phones to give them a call hey where are you send them a text right. 
So we have no way of finding out where they are. And there's, there's rivers all throughout uh, Vermont and New Hampshire. They're everywhere. And we just had no idea where they were going. So we didn't know where to search. And so went to bed and just had a moment with the Lord and just kind of on my knees, like, God, where, where are they? Um, but just felt a peace, felt a peace about it. And so went to bed and uh, fully expecting, I, I mean, I truly believed that I was going to be awakened uh, by my husband's kiss the next morning. And so the sun wakes us up and I'm like, I'm looking around, there's no sky. And my sister Heather comes running down the stairs and she's like, where's James? Where's Scott? And we're like, I, I don't know. And so that's when the official search really began. Um, we contacted um, the church where um, my husband was serving as the youth pastor. And so people were taking off work, um, walking up and down different river routes. Um, we had my, I mean, my whole living room transformed into kind of a search and rescue mission. Um, we had maps and highlighters and people, people are calling us and, and just, um, letting us know where they had been. They haven't seen anything here. So we're marking it. Um, we, my sister and I had both conducted several television interviews showing pictures of them, pictures of their vehicle, asking if anyone had seen them to please, please report it. We're looking for them. And uh, it was, it was just a full day, a full day of search, because um, they had gone missing on August first, and now August second, it's almost a whole day has gone by, and we just haven't heard anything. And so here, Heather and I are in the middle of a television interview. Um, it's around five o'clock at night. It's the five o'clock um, newscast, and television lights are on us. We're in the middle of the interview. My phone rings. And I pick up that phone and it's a local sheriff. And he says, Mrs. Nesbitt, I'm so sorry that your husband's bodies have been found floating in a river. Oh, Holly. Not, I mean, never, ever did I ever expect to hear words like that. And I was even processing the word choice from the sheriff and thinking, bodies have been found and it's all starting to hit me and I look over at my sister and I see the look on her face and I hang up with the sheriff and I say Heather they're gone the camera lights from the television crew they go off Heather goes running in one direction and I go running in another She's up on a hill, having it out with God, expressing her hurt and her pain, her anger. And I go running in another direction. And this, oddly enough, this isn't even something that was physical. It was, it was also just what God was doing in our hearts. I go running. I find myself, I fell, I fell down in some wet grass. And I, I had walked till I couldn't hear the wailing that was going on on the campground and I dropped to my knees and I just recall having like that conversation with the Lord that many of us do when we get a phone call like that or we encounter some devastating news that catches us off guard and so a lot of those common things are 
why God? Why would you allow this? Or where, where are you in the midst of this? Um, and who are you? And where you just, do you see me now? And what about my daughter? And I'm starting to ask all those typical questions. And I'm thinking in the same moment, not only have I lost my husband, my, my love, um, my daughter has lost her dad. A church has lost their youth pastor. Siblings have lost their brother. Mom and dad have lost their sons. Um, same moment. And even though in that moment of hurt and pain and loss and, and uh, just being so alone, <laughs> feeling so alone, just as quickly as I felt so alone, I felt like I had God's attention in that moment. And, and the most supernatural thing began to happen in that moment of, of incredible pain and loss. I, I began to worship God. And instead of pointing a finger and shaking my fist at the Lord, I begin to worship him. And I say, God, I, I don't understand this. Um, but this is what I do know. You are faithful. Um, I can trust you. You, you are good. And just as soon as I'm saying those words, I'm hearing worship from the youth group, from the barn. And I begin to hear them singing, I could sing of your love forever. And I was drawn to that like a magnet. I get up and I begin to walk into that barn and I drop to my knees in the middle of that group, hands raised, hearing them sing, I could sing of your love forever. Just such brokenness and just reminded, even in that moment of hurt and pain, that he loves us. His love is steady. It's reliable. Um, I, I went to bed that night, obviously just heart completely broken. And Heather and I, my sister, and then our do my daughter with Scott, um, we all slept in the same room that night. We didn't speak a word to one another. And I remember just hearing each other cry throughout the night and the next morning rolls around and the sun is beaming through my window. And in Vermont, you don't get a lot of sun days, <laughs> sunny mm -hmm. days. And so I just, I was almost really annoyed and ticked off about the sun shining through that window because that did not match how I was feeling. But I remember sitting up out of bed in the moment my feet hit that wood floor. The Lord dropped a song in my heart that I hadn't heard or sung since I was a little girl. And it goes back uh, to the verses in Lamentations where it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I mean, the Lord had that song playing repeat in my heart all day long and it became just my bedrock um, and the verse that I really have anchored myself to um, I actually have it hanging on my wall to my right here and it's Psalm 61 when my heart is overwhelmed I will cling to the rock that is higher than I 
for you are my safe refuge. And I've had lots, lots of bad days after that, that day. And even though in that moment, my initial reaction was to worship the Lord, I promise you there were moments of struggle and just being upset with the Lord and feeling not cared for by the Lord. Um, but I have anchored myself to that verse and he continues to draw me back and remind me that he is faithful, that his love is steadfast um, and that I can trust him. I'm sitting here with just chills hearing your story and imagining um, well, I can't, I can't imagine what it would have been like, but picturing it, you've, um, you've created a visual in my mind and imagining the immense loss you and your sister would have felt having lost your father first. Right. And then shortly after losing both of your husbands and you being able to kind of walk that journey out with faith, even in that moment, um, which I'm sure maybe there are people listening right now. They're like, how in the world would you have done that? Yeah. Now I know part of your story is that you handled it very differently than your sister. Initially. Yes. How did, how did that come about? You know, um, it's amazing how two people can experience and walk through uh, the same thing, but yet have different responses. And so where my initial response was worship, hers was standing on a hillside and having it out with the Lord. But I'm so, I am so grateful to God that he allows us to have those honest moments with him. I almost feel like he encourages it. Um, he wants us to be honest in that pain, but it was, it was really interesting. I think for me, just having a two-year-old daughter, um, it kind of forced me to just not just be looking at myself and kind of wearing that badge of woe is me. I had to focus on someone else and care for someone else. And so I think initially that helped kind of propel me and push me forward to move forward more quickly that was just my personality for Heather. It was different. Um, her pain, she felt it differently. And even though she also, she, she became my partner in helping raise Emma. Um, Heather was really hurt. And so the Lord was just taking her on a different, um, journey of discovery of who he was, who he is and who she is in light of that. Um, she, she really began to pour herself into scriptures and she journaled. She was really good about journaling and um, just what God was teaching her in that process. And um, so I just saw the Lord working in her life and it, it really was a beautiful thing. And um, it's funny, I look back at those times and even though those were our for sure darkest days, those were also our sweetest days in that I think because we were so broken and because so much had been taken from us, um, we, we truly had to cling to the Lord. Like that was our choice. We made that decision and she did it as well. Um, 
but experiencing God and his nearness in such tragedy and pain truly was the gift in that suffering and the gift in knowing and experiencing a different side of God that I had never seen before. And for that, um, I am forever grateful to the Lord for, for letting me get a glimpse of him and for Heather getting a glimpse of him um, in that kind of way, because that truly was the gift in suffering for us was the Lord's presence, his nearness. And scripture is so clear, um, just how the widows and the orphans, they have God's attention. He is looking out for them. And we felt that. Um, and I'm, in fact, I remember both of us were shocked when we would run across scripture where it would talk about the widow or the orphan. And it was like, it was like God wrote that for us. And it would just blow our minds. Um, Cause it's like, he, even though this was written so many years ago, um, it felt personal and it felt current and relevant to where we were that day. And honestly, where we are still today. Mm -hmm. And here you were both very young, you were a young mom, yeah. both, you know, relatively newly married mm -hmm. and experiencing tragedy and loss to this degree, which many people don't face until much older. Right. Right. How, how are you able to do that even um, as young women and thinking about like how your, how your life would look and like, what, what is that like? I remember um, Heather and I were at a restaurant. We were in line actually um, picking up our food and we saw a very much a very older couple, like probably in their eighties, they were hand in hand walking into this fast food uh, store and Heather and I looked at them and looked at each other and it was like, I want that Lord. I want that. And, and it was just, it was just really interesting um, that the Lord, he was reminding us during that time that he he was and still is our ultimate companion, um, that no one can compare to him. He is, so he, he is our husband. He is our father. Um, and it was just that journey of realizing that he is far better than anything here on earth. And though those are our dad and our husbands were gifts to us from the father. And we cherish those. Um, it, it is God himself who is the ultimate husband and companion and father. Now, there may be even women on here that are listening and kind of going, okay, now I don't even understand what she means by that. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to have that kind of uh, intimacy level with God? Well, I will say that that didn't come quickly. Um, it wasn't something that we just kind of fell into. I remember having a conversation um, with my pastor who was up in Vermont. I had called him as I was processing the grief. And I, I honestly told him, I said, I don't want to open the Bible. I don't want to hear praise and worship music. Um, 
it just, it was bitter to me. And he said, Holly, he said, you have got to baby step it back um, into scripture. You've got to baby step it back into God's presence. You've got to take those steps forward. And so it was interesting. We both Heather and I began to do that. And so just reading a little bit of scripture, um, listening to worship music, I couldn't handle kind of the the high spirited praise music during that time, but I started listening to slower worship music and it began to draw my heart back to the Lord. And I remember um, in the early days of our grief, both of us, we dreaded the nighttime, absolutely dreaded night. Um, it, it was a reminder that we were alone. It was a reminder that we had lost our husbands, that we had lost our dad. And it was interesting as we began to continue to baby step it into the word of God, spending time in prayer, worshiping the Lord, where we dreaded the nighttime, the Lord absolutely flipped that. And we began to get excited about the nighttime because that was basically date night with Jesus. Um, Heather and I would pour through um, devotions and Bible studies, and it was it was interesting, really. I mean, she would go to her room, I would go to my room. Doors are shut. We're pouring through the Word, and the next morning, we would wake up and tell each other all that we discovered about the Lord um, that the night before. And so, but it was an intentional, disciplined effort to pursue God. Um, it wasn't something that just naturally happened. Um, and that's where I can tell you that that intimacy, it was built. It was built in that leaning in um, to who God is, to, to let him um, be that balm to our pain, um, to allow his word to heal, begin to heal those wounds. Now, we still have scars from these experiences. Um, but honestly, I'm thankful for those scars in my life, um, those spiritual scars, um, because they're reminders of what God has done and what he continues to do in my life. And I, I'm not there, um, but he continues to draw me to him. And those scars are just the reminders of his beauty, his intimacy, his pursuit, his nearness. And that, that is the gift that he's given us. Mm-hmm. I can just... You know, I'm I'm just imagining just different women listening to this in different places in their life and how that works for each of us and how we can each draw closer to God in our own circumstances and in our own lives. Right. And for you, that was such a um, you needed that in that moment of crisis, and then the moments that came after and and it's interesting how sometimes we can either go to him or we run from him either one yeah but that was not where your story ended so tell me what happened after that ah uh, god is is good and faithful um i will say Following that, I think that there, the, the Lord began to restore joy. Um, and again, it, it was his presence, his nearness, his word um, that was doing the healing. Anytime Heather and I share our story, 
we are, um, this next part that I share with you is a part that we often leave out and it's intentional um, because I, we want to make sure that the women who hear our story know that um, now that we are remarried, um, it's not our husbands who fixed us. It's not our husbands that healed us. Um, it's not why we're all better. And I put that in quotes because we're never all better. Um, but what's what the cool part of our story and, and my husband now, so um, I met him seven months after, after the accident and he became part of the band that my sister and I had started um, we were sharing our story. Um, we were known um, for singing and things like that, but we started writing music. And so different churches were asking us to come and share our story and our songs. And so um, this is where Aaron Snell enters the picture. Um, and so he comes, he checks out the band, he joins the band. And what was really incredible about him so after we'd have our band practice, Aaron would stick around and he left his keyboard set up at our house. Heather and I had a house together next door to our mom. Um, my daughter, Emma, she was obviously with us, but Aaron, um, he would come over and he, after the band would leave, he would just play on his keyboard for hours and hours and hours. And it was old hymns. It was current choruses. Um, but he would just sit and play while Heather and I would talk, it, 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 the Lord, it's almost like when I think about it, David and how he ministered to Saul. Um, that's honestly how Aaron was ministering to Heather and I, it was, he would play and it was the spirit of God was there and it, we would begin to kind of unload all that we were feeling and the pain that we were feeling, but then also talking about the goodness of God. And as we anchored ourselves to the worship and, and the hymns, um, it was stirring up our affections for the Lord and reminding us of who, who he was. And, and so then we would begin to worship the three of us together. We would just begin to sing these songs together. And, and then, um, months, months down the road, I, I'm starting to be attracted to this guy, which felt so weird because I'm still completely grieving and missing my first husband and, and then starting to have feelings for this guy playing the piano across from me. And, um, boy, that was one of the most confusing times in my life for sure. Um, but then just spending a lot of time together, um, the Lord just did a beautiful work. And I remember having that moment with the Lord where I'm like, Lord, people are going to think I'm crazy. People are going to think that, um, I'm desperate and I'm just, you know, going after the first thing in front of me. Um, but the Lord is just as quickly and, and, and um, clearly as I could hear you and I talking now, the Lord was speaking to my heart and he just said, Holly, you need to not worry about what other people think over time, people will know that this is of me and this is not just for you. But Aaron is also your gift, my gift to your daughter, Emma. And I just remember how I was just amazed by how clear that was. And so now here we are. Um, we, we did get married and 
the Lord has put us in music ministry together at times. Then my husband was an executive pastor and now he's, he's essentially a co-pastor with two other pastors where we started a church together. Um, it's been an incredible journey. And uh, what I love about Aaron too, and I could go on and on about this incredible man of God. Um, he says, Holly, he said, your ministry and what you've walked through is my ministry. And this, he said, part of what you do is now what I do because I'm married to you. This is my calling as well. And so a lot of times when Heather and I go share and speak, um, Aaron joins us, her husband, he joins us. Um, it, it's just such an, it's just, it's an incredible thing. God is so mm -hmm. good. Yeah. It's a, a beautiful story. And when I met you is when you and Aaron had been relatively newly married. That's right. And since then, you guys have more kids. That's so you have right. Three kids. Mm -hmm. And um, and I I remember hearing your story back then. And and since and since then, you guys, you you and Heather co-wrote a book. That's right. Dancing on my ashes. Yeah. And uh, you guys do travel and speak occasionally as well. And mm -hmm. I know you're also running another uh, non-for-profit, which um, you mentioned earlier. One of the things that stuck out to me as you were talking was that you tend to leave out part of the story. And I love how you phrase that because, um, and I love how you actually put it back into the story, because there's so many women who are assuming that just by being married, that everything is going to be fixed in their life. Right. That they'll have um, this love that will encompass everything and really take care of every need that they have. And through this, you realize that it wasn't that. Mm -mm. It was always going to be God who did that for you. And you, you did have a loss and grief and things that you went through, but then you also had something so beautiful come out of that pain as well. That's right. Which is amazing to me. It's an amazing testimony of uh, God's faithfulness and, but also of, you know, just our being able to walk out our lives and just trust God for whatever the outcome is. That's right. What would you say to maybe a young woman who has experienced grief or loss in some capacity and has not had the same outcome as you have? Yeah. Boy, that is tough. Um, and I, I definitely realize that, again, we process things differently and that the journey that God has us each on is going to look different. I get that. And, and I also understand that the seasons of pain and suffering that we can walk through, um, the length of that varies wildly um, amongst us, despite whether we are diligent and disciplined in spending time with the Lord. Um, but I think always keeping in mind that whatever we're going through is for our good and it's for His glory. And, and so I think that I just... I. I honestly, I still have to remind myself, my life, people can watch this podcast to go, look, everything's put together. She's 
everything's great. She's got kids. She's got a husband. She's doing ministry. I tell you, um, the season of ministry that I'm in now is one of the hardest I've ever been in. Um, it is one of the most challenging. But for those who are in the midst of suffering, those who are still in the midst of grief, I just want to encourage encourage you, whether you see the the quick outcomes and whether you see God do what you ask him to do, um, we have to all, all of us have to be intentional with our abiding. We have to, John 15 states so clearly, it talks about abiding and that he is the true vine. That means that there are false vines out there that we can attach ourselves to trying to, to get strength. And, and it says apart from him, apart from the Lord, we can do nothing, nothing. We have to be diligent in abiding with the Lord. So whether that's in the mountaintop experiences or whether that's in the deepest valley where it seems like there is no light, um, we have to abide. We must abide. Um, he, he is the only thing that got me through what I've gotten through. Um, and so for those who are watching and listening, even though it may appear she moved on quickly, she didn't have very many bad days, I promise you there were plenty of bad days. There were plenty of nights that I cried myself to sleep and wondered if I would wake up the next morning because my heart was so broken. Um, there was many days of pain. And there, even fast forwarding now, there are plenty of days where I'm just like asking God, what on earth? <laughs> like, when am mm -hmm. I going to get out of this? And, and this is so hard. Um, when is it going to be easier? Um, I've got to abide. I've got to spend time with the Lord and finding that soul rest. It's not just turning on Netflix and resting and turning your brain off. It's, it's spending time with the Lord. It's pouring your heart out to him and letting him know this is how I feel. And I'm a little upset with you right now. And Show me your goodness. Show me that you're here. Show me that you love me. And he's going to do that. He's going to do that. But it's a lot of times it looks so different than what we think it should look like and what we want it to look like. But ultimately it's better. And I would even say too, that before we started recording, you and I were speaking about just that abiding and that resting. Yeah. For those people maybe who, you know, are, they don't have a relationship with God or they mm -hmm. have a very like new relationship with God. A lot of this might seem like, oh, what is she talking about? You know, like, what does this abiding mean? What does this resting yeah. mean? And, and I would just say even, I think that sometimes if you look at it in terms of relationship and getting to know someone, that time that you spend with them in just getting to know someone is a lot like what getting to know God is. Yeah. And when we rest in God, it's, it's kind of letting ourselves not take the reins and the control of everything. And isn't that hard? <laughs> yeah. And, and I know, cause I was telling you before, <laughs> I am a perfectionist in recovery and it's really hard for me to be at peace and at rest when things don't go well, or I'm trying to really have something 
perfect, or I really want something to um, actually happen that I've been thinking about, that I've been hoping for, that I've been praying for. And, and it doesn't seem to be moving towards that. And I want to push it towards that end. And yet I'm reminded all the time just to rest, Andrew, just rest in God, rest in, um, in who he is. And it doesn't have to be in your timing. Yeah. It doesn't have to look how you think it's going to look. And I think that's uh, such a great reminder for us. Um, you have such a vastly different story than me. Um, you know, I think about, you know, you're raising three beautiful kids, you have a husband and ministry, and um, I am a single woman in my 40s. Right. And just a totally different picture. Right. But in the same way, I resonate so much with what you're saying because it doesn't matter what we go through, the emotions that come along with it, the feelings, the process is much the same. Right. Is much the same. And I, I love that, that you can encourage us with your story and and, and share how that's happened for you. Now, if you were like to say like, what is like one thing that you are fighting for hmm. in your life and in, in this season? Wow. That's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, this, um, as great as everything is, it's also been a very tough season, a very tough season. Um, and just to be brutally honest, um, which I want to do, uh, I have found myself in this past year struggling with more anxiety than I've ever struggled with. Um, some panic attacks. Um, it's been it's been tough, and and yet I have to preach to myself. And remind myself um, just of that importance. Um, I, it just—it sounds—it sounds so churchy, doesn't it? Abide. You need to abide. <laughs> um, but I mean, quite honestly, it's like what you're saying, though. I mean, that is—and I love how you you framed it. It's the relational part of who God is. It's mm -hmm. it's it's Him listening to us, and then it's Him speaking to us. Um, and some of you who, who maybe don't have that relationship with the Lord, that's confusing to you. And I get it. It, this sounds foolish, right? Um, but if you would just give the Lord a chance, if you would take, take some moments in the car or maybe in your bedroom when you're alone and just to have that honest, honest moment, with the Lord, talk it out loud, tell him what you think. I, it's amazing how um, I really do believe that if you're even watching this podcast, there is a pursuit um, that God has upon your life, that there's a reason that you're watching this and that you may feel a little something inside of your heart stirring even now as we talk about the Lord, because I can tell you he is not just some God up in heaven sitting on a cloud overseeing what's happening here. He is a God that is intimately involved in the details of our lives. He is a God that sees 
me in my moments of panic. He is um, the God who sees me when tears are streaming down my face and I don't know what to do and my heart is broken and I'm wondering if it will ever get put back together again. He is the God that rejoices with me um, when my son makes a shot in basketball. He is the God who is near uh, the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He's true to who he says he is. Um, but the very fact that you're watching this for those who may be new to this podcast or don't have what we refer to as a relationship with the Lord, um, I believe that this very day he is pursuing your heart and he's saying, give me a chance. And so I echo that. Um, give him a chance because he is so worth it. Mm -hmm. He is my best friend. Um, I adore my husband and he is one of the greatest gifts um, from the Lord to me that he does not replace who God is and what he does in and through my life. And so even though things could come across rosy and that all things are together, I promise you, I still to this day, even though 17 years have gone by since my first husband passed away, um, I still have to make a daily choice to cling to the Lord. And so that is my encouragement, um, just that abiding, that clinging, whether you are new to your relationship with Christ or maybe you are beginning that discovery of who God is. I just, I encourage you, implore you with all my heart. He is everything that you need, um, but give him a chance. Holly, that is seriously so beautiful. And I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate your heart. Um, and I think to myself now, I'm like, I wish I had been friends with her longer and <laughs> really invested into this. And so now you may not be able to shake me. So um, I love it. I, I really appreciate your, your transparency. And I know I hear so often how women struggle, myself included, with anxiety and mm -hmm. And it's, um, it's something that is, I don't know if it's just happening in this generation more and more or just it feels like an epidemic. <laughs> it really does. And, yeah. and the more, um, and it, it doesn't matter what brings it on or what it's caused by, but you know, it's, it's really a difficult place to be Yeah. and women and men are experiencing it on all different levels. And, um, and I've talked about that in other different podcasts and, if you're listening here, I will put in the show notes, you know, where uh, you can get help if you need it, if you're struggling with anxiety. But before we go, Holly, um, where can people find you? Um, how can they connect with you? Uh, great question. So um, if I'm pleased to respond to emails, um, I can be reached at Holly, H-O-L-L-Y at myhope.org. Um, you can also uh, leave me messages on dancingonmyashes.com. That's my sister and I's website where you can reach out to us and just messages, see our speaking schedule. Um, here, see, there's a video on there that kind of shares our story in a nutshell. Um, and there's, there's some blogging there that um, you can partake of. Um, we are on Facebook personally as well. I'm at Holly Wall Snell. 
um, on Facebook, and I honestly don't use Twitter very much, but I'm there too. I believe it's at Holly Snell Five. Um, so those are the the easiest places to get a hold of us. Oh, and yeah, and if you are ever looking for a dynamic, obviously as you've heard, um, woman to speak into um, your church or women or like, please do connect with Holly and Heather because their story is so powerful. And I just feel like completely encouraged myself this morning. So um, I I just want to thank you so, so very much for being a part of the Courage Cast today. Uh, It's my pleasure. And it's been good for me too. So thank you so much. Wow. Holly's story is so incredibly powerful. And to hear how she's walked through grief and loss is simply unbelievable. What an amazing story of restoration and courage. And friends, I want to encourage you that if you've experienced any kind of loss in your life, whether it be like Holly's or it's something that's happened to you that feels as though you are so alone, that you are never alone and that the journey you are on, you can always reach out to God, even in your darkest moment. And if you want to connect with Holly or hear more about her story, then head over to thecouragecast.com and you can access all of her details and the show notes. And remember, you have everything you need to live bravely. If you like this episode of The Courage Cast, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. The Courage Cast is produced by Stephen Krillin.